Hey guys, welcome to Man of Bat Knowledge. Sorry, it's been forever. I have committed to doing at least 100 of these, and that may take 10 years or it may take 100 years. Depending on how long it takes, I'm still going to stick with it. I do appreciate all the feedback that I've gotten for the previous episode that I did. Uh, a lot of you guys liked it, and I very much appreciate you listening. If you're listening now, I also very much appreciate that as well. I know it's taken me forever to get these out, but, you know, maybe one every two months isn't that bad. You know, they say done is better than nothing. So on to today's show. Um, today I'm going to go through again some good news that's happening around the world. And then we're going to end this episode with a brief history of the internet. The first bit of good news that's happened in the world is a billionaire is going to cover the college debt of 396 college seniors. Billionaire investor and philanthropist Robert J. Smith was wrapping up his commencement speech to the graduating class of Morehouse College when he announced he would be paying off the student debt of all 396 college seniors. Morehouse is an all-males, historically black, private college in Atlanta, Georgia. According to the local news, Smith's donation would likely pay off about $40 million worth of debt. I'm going to play a couple of highlights from Mr. Smith's speech. In it, he talks about many things, including the, um, including the racial strife that these young men are possibly going to receive in their lives. And he also has a very good way of explaining the situation that these kids are going to be going into. Earning a college degree is one of the most impressive and greatest accomplishments of life. But success has many parents. And as hard as each of you have worked and have achieved today, you've had a lot of help along the way. We are all the product of a community, a village, a team. And many of those who've made contributions for you to arrive at this very moment today are with us. So first and foremost, I'm going to ask you one more time. You're going to stand up, you're going to turn around, and you're going to celebrate all these people, our community, our family, who are here to celebrate you. In our shared history, as a people and as a country, the Morehouse campus is a special place. The path you walked along Brown Street this morning to, te to reach this commencement ceremony was paved by men of intellect and character and determination. These men understood that when Dr. King said the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, he wasn't saying it bends on its own accord. It bends because we choose to put our shoulders into it together and push. The degree you earn today is one of the most elite credentials that America has to offer. But I don't want you to think about it as a document that hangs on the wall or reflects the accomplishments you've made up to now. That degree is a contract. It's a social contract. 
It calls on you to devote your talents and energies to honoring those legends on whose shoulders both you and I stand. Like many of yours, my family has been in these United States for eight or nine generations. We have nourished the soil with our blood. We've sown the land with our sweat. We've protected this country with our bodies, contributed to the physical, cultural, and intellectual fabric of this country with our minds and our talent. And yet, I'm the first generation in my family to have secured all my rights as an American citizen. The cycle of resistance to oppression, followed by legislation, followed by the weakening of that legislation, followed by more oppression and more resistance, has affected and afflicted every single generation. And even as we've seen some of the major barriers come crashing down in recent years, we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't acknowledge just how many of these injustices still persist. Whether you, where you live shouldn't determine where you get, whether or not you get educated. Where you go to school shouldn't determine whether you get textbooks. The opportunity to access, the opportunity for access should be determined only by the fierceness of your intellect and the courage in your creativity. And should be fueled by the grit that allows you to overcome expectations that frankly weren't set high enough. We've seen remarkable breakthroughs in medical research, yet race-based disparities in health outcomes still exist. You're 41% more likely to die of breast cancer if you're an African-American woman in America than if you were white. You're 2.3 times more likely to die of prostate cancer if you're an African-American man than if you were white. If you are African-American, you're more likely to be stopped by the police, more likely to be issued a ticket when you're stopped, more likely to be threatened with force than when you're white. That's our reality. This is the world you are inheriting. Now, I'm telling you things because I don't want you to think that I'm bitter, nor do I want you to be bitter. I call upon you to make things better. Because the great lesson of my life is that despite the challenges we face, America is truly an extraordinary country. And our world is getting smaller by the day. And you are equipped with every tool to make it your own. Today, for the first time in human history, success requires no prerequisite of wealth or capital, no ownership of land or natural resources or people. Today, success can be created solely through the power of one's mind, ideas, and courage. Intellectual capital can be cultivated, monetized, and instantaneously distributed across the globe. Intellectual capital has become the new currency of business and finance, and the promise of brain power to move people from poverty to prosperity in one generation has never been more possible. Technology, the world that I live in, is creating a whole new set of on-ramps to the 21st century economy. And together, we will help assure that the African-American community will acquire the tech skills and be the beneficiaries in a sector that is being automated. We all have the responsibility to liberate others so that they can become their best selves. 
in human rights, the arts, in business, and in life. The fact is, as the next generation of African-American leaders, you don't want to just be on the bus. You want to own it, you want to drive it, and you want to pick up as many people along the way as you can. Because I will tell you, more than the money, the awards, the recognition, the titles, we will all be measured by how much we contribute to the success of the people around us. How many people will you get on your bus number 13? We need you to become the elected leaders who step up and fix the laws that engender discrimination and set a tone of respect in our public discourse. We need you to become the C-suite executives who change corporate culture, build sustainable business models, and make diversity and inclusion a core and unshakable value. We need you to become the entrepreneurs who will innovate inclusively, expand wages for all Americans, and lower the unemployment rate in our communities. We need you to be the educators who set the standards and demand the resources to deliver on those standards and inspire the next generation. And we need you to invest in the real estate and businesses in our communities and create value for all of us in those communities. So graduates, look to your right, look to your left. Actually, take a moment, stand up, give each other a hug. I'm going to wait. Men of Morehouse, you are surrounded by a community of people who have helped you arrive at this sacred place and on this sacred day. On behalf of the eight generations of my family who have been in this country, we're going to put a little fuel in your bus. Now, I've got the alumni over there, and this is a challenge to you, alumni. This is my class, 2019. And my family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. If our standards for success are going to truly propel people into the right direction to further their lives, the system should not also put that same person in complete, horrible, debilitating debt for decades of their lives. I applaud you, Mr. Smith. All right, the next piece of news that we're going to talk about is a little bit in the medical world. Scientists have managed to develop a miracle superglue that can heal a potentially fatal wound in seconds. The powerful biogel has the capacity to prevent hurt patients from bleeding out on operating tables, dramatically reducing patient recovery time and save the lives of those injured in war zones and serious accidents. This bio-glue, when activated by using ultraviolet light, immediately forms a complete seal, even on wet tissue without the need of staples or stitches. In experiments 
Researchers managed to close up incisions and holes up to six millimeters wide in the blood vessels and organs of pigs, all in just 20 seconds. Until now, medical glue has not proved strong enough to withstand the forces inside the pumping chambers of hearts or major blood vessels. Uncontrollable bleeding is a major problem in surgical procedures and after major trauma. Existing clotting substances poorly control hemoglobin and cardiac wounds because of their weak adhesion to wet and mobile tissues. The new gel, however, contains water and a cocktail of chemicals that is injected into the injured tissue. These compounds help to mimic the support structures of cells. A complex combination of proteins and other molecules when exposed to UV light. The glue sets rapidly. In tests, the gel has stopped high pressure bleeding from pigs, major arteries. This glue is still in the testing phases and is still being tested for preclinical data. And eventually there will be trials as soon as official approval for the clinical trials have been set forth. This kind of technology this kind of technology has actually been kind of the holy grail of medical research when it comes to saving the lives of human beings after catastrophic injury or an event. Internal bleeding is a massive issue when it comes to a myriad of accidents, including the battlefield. Being able to quickly get out a pin that has a small amount of this biogel and injecting it directly into a bullet wound could increase the survival rate of not just our soldiers, but people at home who have experienced similar injuries. Next up, I'm going to play an excerpt from a video from a company that has developed a salt that is capable of producing thermal energy when simply introduced with water. We signed an LOI with Vattenfall and other partners almost two years ago, and since then we have worked for ourselves how to design and engineer this pilot. I think this uh, inauguration of the new uh, energy storage uh, was really exciting. So I'm leaving here with a very light heart. I think Soltex has a very big potential market in Germany, given the fact that the uh, renewable energy is produced up in the north, but mainly consumed in the south. So somewhere along the way, uh, someone needs to offer a solution for storage. And from what I've seen, uh, I think uh, Soltex has the potential to do just that. This groundbreaking research done from a project that is being headed by German scientists is trying to figure out a way to create a fossil fuel-free future. A power plant in Berlin is the first one to use this type of technology, which is called Quick Lime, to store heat for long periods of time. 
Germany already has the renewable energy capacity to power more than half of the country, but since many green energy sources are dependent on consistent on consistent weather conditions, the nation is forced to continue using fossil fuels as backup energy. Quicklime, on the other hand, generates large amounts of heat when it is simply exposed to water. The salt technology, was, which was developed by Sweden, works similarly to a battery except that it stores heat instead of electricity. Since more than half of Germany's energy consumption is used on heating, the salt can be used to generate, store, and convert heat whenever the nation's renewable energy sources fall short of the grid's demands. The technology is also far more efficient at storing heat compared to water storage systems that are notoriously lose heat over time. Currently, the system is supplying heat to 100 homes, but if it proves to be successful, SaltX plans on scaling up the technology so that it can be used for thousands more German households. And eventually, they hope the world. The biggest thing about renewable energy that people don't really know about, well, actually, in, in, energy in general. Wh like, when you turn on your light, the energy that is en that is powering your light bulb was created nanoseconds before you turned on that switch. Power is one to one, meaning it must be, it, it, it has to be used when it was created. We're gonna, if, if you want to extrapolate that, it means that the turbine in the dam or the power plant that is generating your power had to just turn for you to get energy. Energy moves quickly and therefore it moves to your light bulb lightning fast the moment it was created. And it's the reason why solar, while a excellent power creator, it is wildly inefficient because at the moment Battery technology is just not where it, sh it can be in storing that energy. If you don't have a way of storing the solar energy, then you won't have power when the sun goes down. This is exciting stuff. And it actually, it shows how far we are going and how far we have come in just a short period of time in trying to create a renewable energy source and technologies to help us further our ability to not be dependent on fossil fuels. All right, so for the last part of this episode, I give to you a brief history of the internet. It spans the globe like a superhighway. It is called Internet. Just what is this main artery of the information superhighway? Every business, no matter how large, no matter how small, will be on the Internet in the year 2000. Imagine, if you will, sitting down to your morning coffee, turning on your home computer to read the day's newspaper. And then it sounded stupid when I said it. Violence at NBC. But it's very hip to be on the Internet. What do you mean? That's what, how does one, what do you write to it? Like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? 
I'm afraid that if I subscribe to something like internet, you would really be hooked. Millions of Americans own a personal computer. If you're one of them, you can now glimpse the future with nothing more than a modem, a phone line, and a few dollars a month. Speak. But it's very hip to be on the internet right now. <laughs> there it is. Violence at NBCGE.com. I mean... Well, well Allison should know. What, what do you is say internet that, anyway? Just what is this main artery of the information superhighway? The internet as we know it today is far different than the internet that was created 50 years ago. And it's even more different than the idea of an interconnected network that was coined many more years behind than that. The internet is an all-encompassing, all-engrossing tool that humanity has decided to use to better ourselves. And in some cases, to commit crimes. It is in everything that we interact with on a daily basis. There are cars that are enabled with the internet. We all carry a communication device that we use to enjoy the internet on. We even use it as entertainment in our living rooms. The internet in essence is both knowledge and connection. It connects us to pretty much the knowledge of the entire world, and it also connects us to the world. One can argue that the internet has done more good for humanity than it has done bad. But one cannot ignore that the internet has been used to harm people and continues to be used that way. Regardless of this, we as a species have taken the internet for what it is, a tool for us to be able to connect with each other so that we may benefit from that connection in all manner of ways. At its core, I believe the internet is important and has done good. And in that, it's important to state that it can be used to harm people. So where did the internet come from? I do believe that the internet has brought us further in the last 10, 15, 20 years than we could have gotten without it in a hundred. So where did the internet come from? In brief, the ideas of an interconnected network, a worldwide wireless system, was actually, at least in record, thought up by many people, and very notably, Nikola Tesla in the early 1900s envisioned a worldwide wireless system. And as the United States was growing and moving towards more an industrial, more technologically advanced society, the idea of being able to share information between long distances was a kernel of an idea to many different people, especially researchers and scientists who worked around the world. It was these people who were trying to figure out scientific methods or trying to connect ideas with other ideas from researchers across college campuses, research facilities. These people were the ones that created the first network. First, there was the computer. The personal computer before that was the research computer a machine used to calculate large numbers and large equations. Equations that the human mind could do, but would take years for a human being to calculate. 
these computers became a staple on college campuses and research facilities across the planet. The researchers in the United States of America decided that there is value in being able to connect these computers so that the computing power of all these computers could come together, hopefully create faster results and more intelligent networks. With this idea, the internet as we see it now was beginning to take shape. Now the first true network was created by many people. So it is, it is, it is not appropriate to credit the creation of the internet to a single person or a single group of people. Rather, countless people contributed to the idea of bringing the internet into the world. But the first time a network was put together and was the prototype for the way that our internet is today was called the ARPANET, funded by the United States Defense Department. There was rumors that this system was created so that the United States Defense Department would still be able to contain some sort of semblance of control over networks across the country if there was an imminent threat. These rumors were greatly discounted, but the rumors persist. This system used a system of packet switching to allow multiple computers to communicate on a single network. The ARPANET was chiefly designed to help universities communicate with each other for the purposes of research. It was utilized first to help with calculations. And eventually, this network was used to deliver the first message. In the 1970s, College students at UCLA created a program that allowed text messages to be transmitted between computers across the network. A student at UCLA attempted to send a message that read, log in to a computer at Stanford. He transferred the L and it proceeded to be transferred. Then he transferred the O and then the Stanford computer crashed. So the very first message sent from a human being across a network to another computer was low. As in low and behold. At least that's the way the story goes. Eventually, the Stanford computer was rebooted and the full message was transferred. Log in. With the network as we see it tonight, the internet as we see it today, is a mixture of technologies, ranging from concepts and calculations that were made across many different countries and groups. In Britain, there was a commercial network developed, but was quickly shut down because of funding. But this network that was being developed in Great Britain was where the idea of packet switching came from. It was being worked on by scientists and they were going to implement it, however, they lost funding. ARPANET researchers used that in their architecture. The basic principles of the network has many rules, but one of the basic rules that governed its growth is the law of large numbers. The law of large numbers states that if you put a large population of unpredictable players or messages together, collectively, those players 
behave in a predictable fashion. In essence, this rule means that the larger the network, the more predictable, the more efficient it will be. This principle is the reason that the internet can be so large, yet still, st yet still remain intact, efficient, and ever-growing without it ever slowing down. Thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I hope that you'll continue to at least every once in a while check in and see that I've actually released an episode. I will be better at this. Uh, for better or worse, I'm going to continue to release episodes, be it maybe once or twice a month or once every four months. I will continue on, and I hope you'll continue to listen. Thank you very much.